Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm excited to have back with me my good friends for a conversation group um, podcast today. My good friends, Melinda Schmidt and Michelle Van Loon. You've heard both of them here on the podcast before. Uh, Melinda, most recently, we talked about creativity a couple of weeks ago and have gotten good response uh, from that podcast about that podcast. And then Boy, six weeks, eight weeks ago, I can't put a finger on it. We had a conversation group um, podcast with Michelle. Michelle is a prolific author. She is also the uh, creator, administrator of the Sage Forum. And uh, so let me say welcome to you, Michelle. And is there anything else you want to add to that little mini bio? That's not much. I'm super happy to be here. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll put a link to Sage okay. Forum in the show notes cool. and to your website as well so people can be aware of your books and um and I always like to post um the latest so I'll post your latest book um also here on, in the show notes too which is um the name is just escaping me about family. Translating your past. Thank you. Tra I can see the cover. Family it. stories. I love that. I love that book. And I can always picture the cover. So thanks for the title. <laughs> and uh, also, I'll say, um, if I can butt in, that yeah, Sage Forum good. just had a tremendous writer's yes. workshop that I attended. And I think there were about 40 some women gathered nice. there together. Four Excellent. fantastic speakers hosted by Michelle. Also, her interjections were superb. So <laughs> nice. it's it's a it's a happening place for nice. what how do you describe it, Michelle? It's a, a place for women who are in the second half of their lives. Um, we are seeking in that space. It's not just me. There's a, a whole collective of women, and we're always looking for more to be able to to think more deeply about what it is like to grow up again in the second half of our lives. Mm. So nice. this, this mm. month we talked about our relationship with our local church as we're moving into kind of the new phase of post COVID life and um, gotten, gotten some interesting responses from people, which I love. Mm. Nice. So. Love that. And then welcome back to you, uh, Melinda, as well. You're a you're a perennial here on Faith Conversations, <laughs> my dear Try friend. Again. Glad to have you back. Have <laughs> conversation, we'll travel. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. Actually, all three of us are are on board that, that train, right? Well, so let's uh let's just dive in. Um, let's start with just a little bit of a lightweight question. 
And, and also I want to say this on the front end, if you've heard us do one of these types of podcasts before, then you know what a conversation group is. If not, you can do this in real life. You know, we're just modeling it here on the podcast, but uh, Michelle and I are in a conversation group together. Uh, Michelle and Melinda used to be in a conversation group together before they moved. You know, you can do this in real time, in real life, just invite a group of friends and bring different topics, you know, once a month and uh, six or eight people. I don't know um, if either of you have anything to add about a conversation group, but that's part of why I like doing it here on the podcast to cast vision for what some other folks might decide to do in person. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, good. You're just all I, talking I think and that's you summed good. it up and being a part of these groups has been um, not only life-giving for me, but it's taught me to be able to um, think and hear and carry a lot of different ideas and perspectives that aren't just what's going on in my head or that's in my little silo of ideas. Well, and to that comment, Michelle, I would add, and don't just invite uh, a group of friends that thinks exactly like you think, you Mm -hmm. know, have some diversity um, as a part of that conversation. Mm And, um, oh, you just learn so much. It's just a great, great forum um, and a great opportunity to learn and to grow. So let's dive in today and we'll start with a little bit of a lighter question that I brought. Um, what's what's a nostalgic food or flavor from your childhood? Okay, you go first. All right. I'll I'll since I picked it, mm-hmm. I'll I'll go first. For me, Uh, And my childhood really was in two places. I like to say it was in Maine and Maine alone, but that's not the total truth because I moved when I was fairly young from Maine to the Philadelphia area. So my Maine food, nostalgic food, is red hot dogs. I dearly love them. Um, You can buy Rice's or Jordan's. Um, from Maine. I, they're, they're, they have a distinct flavor. Um, sometimes if people can't handle regular hot dogs, they handle those really well intestinally. I'm just letting you know. I was going to say, how do you handle a hot dog? <laughs> you know, or we, have, we have a couple of friends who, who said, oh no, when I heard you were serving hot dogs, I thought, oh no, because they would come up on them a lot. And so okay. but they said, you know, we didn't want to say no. And so we had these and they treated my stomach perfectly well. So anyway, <laughs> there you go. They're the color of red velvet cake. They are very bright red. I'm sure I'll die of from food dye poisoning or whatever. Red dye number two red extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's what they use anymore because I don't know if you can, but they still are bright red and I love the flavor and it's got to be in a steamed do- hot dog bun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where can you buy them anywhere outside of Maine? I don't know. I've always bought them online and had to have them shipped freeze, you know, with um, dry ice on dry ice. I've gotten them a couple of times for my son as a surprise for a special numbered birthday or something. Um, yeah, no, oh. I don't know where else you can get them, but I love them. Love uh, them. <laughs> and, I have a, a childhood memory, although it's not very interesting, but it's meaningful to me. And that is there's a pizza we bought in the Chicago area called John's, J-O-H-N-S. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm having a flashback. <laughs> Where? Not about that pizza. Where yeah. in Chicago? Um, well, it's it was frozen. Jewel. Uh, the grocery pizza store. at the grocery store. Okay. 
And the brand was John's, J-O-H-N-S. And of course, Michelle grew up in the Chicago area too. And we would have that sometimes on Sunday nights. And my dad would cut uh, green olives onto them. And he would space them all perfectly and make it just right. He's an an Enneagram one. Of course. (laughs) And um, it's, I think it's the combined memory of my dad back in the, you know, 60s doing this and, and um, just a Sunday night memory and uh, watching the Sunday night shows like Lassie or Mr. Ed or Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz movie once a year. And yeah. um, there was this pizza that just was so great. And honestly, I, I have a memory that it was superb. And I'm sure if I had it now, I, I don't know what I think. But back then, it just was super cool. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I can't believe I was in Chicago 32 years and I did not have. Oh, it was out by, I think, when in the 70s. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't know it. That was definitely childhood um, DEF CON one (laughs) level food. So (laughs) that's great. I I like to tell people, like, a lot of kids grew up drinking like Kool Aid that their mom made where you would add the sugar. And my mom hated cooking so much that kool-aid was too much like cooking for her because she had to measure (laughs) things so i have um i have a very weird kind of like john's pizza was definitely in the mix hot dogs chicago hot dogs Mm -hmm. vienna beef kosher hot dogs were definitely in in the mix lots of oreos lots of twinkies (laughs) um pop or you know coke or whatever soda for breakfast um it's a miracle i'm even alive i was just thinking that well you you just said um twinkies which made me think of my philadelphia childhood favorite which was tasty cakes so they're like really big on the east east coast now that i live in florida i see them i'm like i see them periodically yeah they made a joke about them or there was a kind of a a part of a seinfeld episode oh sure referenced maybe it was not tasty cakes but some uh, drake's (laughs) cakes but anyway i'm like this isn't i don't even know what tasty cakes i know about twinkies and i know about little debbie but i don't know about this tasty cakes and soft pretzels from street vendors that's a big deal in philadelphia i learned to love them there i still love them but don't hardly ever have them so well what's your favorite uh, or what's a childhood yeah well if, if my mom actually cooked a thing <laughs> yes whatever it was felt like a miracle <laughs> and one thing <laughs> i mean come on i'm telling you kool-aid was too much for her wow. so Great. um but she would occasionally um i i come from a jewish parents and so she would make the cure for everything that ails you which is homemade chicken soup matzo ball soup yes and one of the one of the highlights the pinnacles of my own cooking life because i love to cook and really dove in when i was in um junior high and high school um learning to cook because i was hungry because man does not live on Twinkies alone. But, um, <laughs> I made, when my mom was in her last days on earth, I made her 
my version of her chicken soup, which I, you know, tweaked and improved. And she looked at me and she said, this is the most amazing matzo ball chicken soup I've ever had. And I was like, this is how things get passed from one generation to the next. But if I'm sick, I want chicken soup. Noodles are okay. I'm grateful to have chicken noodle soup, but matzo balls are like next level for me. So I love yes. that. When we lived in Palm Desert, we lived across from some thing that was famous in the desert, Sherman's Deli. And <laughs> I used to get their matzo ball soup all the time. It's it's a favorite comfort food. It mm. it is it will cure what ails you and just like the hot dogs will and just like yeah john's pizza will right those childhood flavors they they touch something deep in our soul i'm convinced so so now now that you're in the center of sarasota and uh amish land you'll take yoder's chicken noodle soup i am i am so grateful that (laughs) yoder's is there yoder's is a mennonite run um, they have a restaurant, they've got kind of a fruit and vegetable stand, and then they've got, um, I, I guess, their pies, which is another comfort food, but <laughs> not a childhood flavor um, or favorite. Their pies have been on Food Network, and they can bring tears to your eyes. They're <laughs> so good. Michelle, before you... You landed in Sarasota. I visited Anita one time and we ate a package of their rolls. Were they potato rolls or something? No, they're just that? they're just a yeast. Just a regular roll. Rolls. They're really good. A package of rolls. Oh yeah. They're so good. If they're you put cooking. a little honey on them, oh, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> they, they are. I've done that. That's yes. Oh, so boy. anyway, come to Sarasota listeners and you know. <laughs> Check out Yoder's. And- oh, so great. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's move on from the fun okay. and I won't say frivolous because there are some really oh. wonderful things that come along with food, some important things that tie us to our pasts in really good ways. But let's move on to another topic. And um, Michelle, why don't you introduce this one? Yeah, I was just thinking about if I could go back in time, where would I go? What, what time period, what place in time would I time travel to? Some of my very favorite movies are time travel movies. Actually, Hmm. (laughs) I like spy movies and I, I'm interested in time travel movies. Um, partly because I think, I think we have the idea that maybe we can do our present differently if we can yeah. affect some sort of change in the past mm-hmm. um, or scratch an itch. So if you were to go somewhere, what would you hope to experience, witness, or even change? And for me, I I would love to be able to time travel to New York City in the 1920s. Um, My family, like so many immigrant families, was just coming into the country and just coming through New York, Ellis Island, and making their way into um, America and the paved golden streets that actually were not 
um, paved with gold. <laughs> and I, I would just love to be able to see and smell the kind of what they saw, but also there's some overlap with where we are in our time and place now in that the pandemic and a big war had just ended the culture. There was a lot of shifts and changes happening. Um, a lot of technology was new and revolutionary. Radio was taking the country by storm and cars were becoming more and more common. And to just be there, not to change anything, but to be able to learn and witness and smell and hear and taste what it was like to be in that place at that time. That's my answer. Mm. What about you guys? Mm. I, I'm not too many decades off from you. I've always been enamored with the 40s. And of course, they were about you know, 30 years past the Great War mm -hmm. and yet found themselves in another one. But it seemed around that war against Hitler um, that there was a lot of galvanized feel. There was a galvanization. <laughs> Everybody was on the same page. Yeah. Uh, right. Whereas thereafter, I'm not sure after the Korean War, you know, if we've been on the same page, mm -hmm. but it seems like it, this is my viewpoint. Anybody who's been a history major may <laughs> find some ways to, to poke, poke at me on this. But uh, for one thing, I, I like that my viewpoint of that time was this, you know, national coming together against something people. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, um, I think that women, they turned to women in that era to fill in the gaps for all the men that had to leave and go to war. So it's that Rosie, the Riveter and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that it was appreciated when the war ended or, um, mm -hmm. you know, paid its due, but I think women got a taste of, yeah, we can wear trousers. We can do, mm -hmm. you know, we can build things. We can, I, I'm sure if I Google that there'd be a host of things that women stepped in and did in the 40s during that important time and then um i think the music is kind of interesting and i i have a very glamorized view of women in red lips you know me i like makeup and all that so red lips and you know looking really stylish and i know they had to wear hose with that line up the back and those cool mm -hmm. shoes and pencil skirts and all of that and you know I'm not one for wanting to wear a garter belt and all that business, but <laughs> that they had to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, life didn't have the same um, personal things that women would appreciate later on in their own, you know, having their periods or health attention or, you know, of course there were gaps in that period, but it just seems like there was a lot of, um, you know, romance and, I don't know, belongingness, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that appeals to me. I don't know, you know, what would I change? Um, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess those are some things I kind of look at and, and think it would be interesting to have experienced that time. It really was kind of an in-between time um, in, in, well, it was mid-century too. So anyway, the 40s. 
I have a, one quick question. Do you picture, when you picture that time period, do you picture yourself in an urban setting, in a rural setting? If so, where? Yeah, no, I picture urban, you mm -hmm. know, you know that, um, that photograph when the war ended of the sailor with yeah. the nurse and kissing her a lot, you know, just like streets full of people mm -hmm. in big cities. No, not rural. No, no. <laughs> that, that reminds me of like the dust bowl or whatever. Yeah. 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 So uh, interesting question, Michelle. Yeah, definitely in the city where life was hip hopping. Wow. How about you, Anita? That's so interesting. <laughs> um, I was, I, this was a hard one. Um, and I, I thought of going two different directions. One was a selfish direction and one was just more thoughtful about where I might go in history. I wanted to go back to the seventies at one point because, um, I, in my evangelical upbringing, it was all Christian music. And I've got this big gap of music that I didn't listen to. I'd like to go back and pick <laughs> that up uh, because music is important to me. And, and, uh, and I certainly have picked up some you of that. You feel but like you missed some things. I feel like I missed some things definitely. Um, and, and I will often will have this conversation with my husband often as maybe overstated, but um, ways if things, if I had done things just a little bit differently educationally, and yet I would have not had a career that was a shock to me to get into and have had, and you know, all of that. So mm -hmm. set that aside. Um, I think I had real interest to head back to the uh, late fifties, early sixties to the civil rights era and I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew it. And I, I thought she's going to say that era, and I feel so embarrassed. I said the forties. No. Oh no! I, I think it's just really interesting about you, Anita. Well, uh, I think for me, uh, I think about being a part of things. And I recently was able to have lunch, small lunch. There were eight of us with this Pulitzer Prize-winning author Taylor Branch, who wrote about. Um, the King years, Martin Luther King Jr., the mm -hmm. King years. Uh, he has a trilogy on the, those civil rights era years. And he was alive and a part of that movement and the stories he could tell. Um, it, it was so inspiring to me. And I thought, maybe I, maybe I, if I was alive then, um, there's always the question, would I have been in the thick of things? And the, what, mm -hmm. what would I have been doing? Well, that's what I would have wanted to have been doing, mm -hmm. certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, now, what, let me ask you, like, where? Because the civil uh, yeah. rights movement in the South, I mean, it could cost you your life. It, yes, it right. Not not just right. Black people, but anybody who was adjacent right. or involved with that. So do you well, picture yourself in the South? Do you picture yourself, you know, in the Northeast or where? Well, I think um, I thought I thought about this since meeting this gentleman who made a decision could have gone a, a couple of different ways, but chose to become a journalist felt like he could affect yeah. change. So I would have had to have had different kind of education. And, but that certainly yeah. appealed to me. Um, I, man, I don't know. I, and he traveled all over. So um, I, I didn't think about where would I be centered? 
But I would tend to be more centered as I think about that movement a little bit more in the South, mid-South to South, mm -hmm. um, because I think so much was happening and going on there. It, it was going on in the North as well. We certainly sure. know that. Um, but that's that's the era. That's And I just would hope to have done. And I think what I hope today, you know, can I affect change in one person? I've gone are the days of affect change in thousands. I don't think about that ever, but, you know, mm -hmm. but can I, how might I affect change even today? I, mm -hmm. I do think about that. And so that's where it took me back to, that was a, I thought it was an interesting question too, Michelle. Yeah, I like all of your answers from kind of this new immigration wave of the twenties to, you know, not that far, you know, not that many it was in our later. lifetime. Yeah. Because, you know, we're all of an age. Interestingly, no one wanted to go back to the 1600s and weave our own clothes and nope. <laughs> oh. have a life expectancy of 24 years. And, nope. you know, <laughs> not doing that. Well, let's let's move along to Melinda's question. What did you bring for us today? OK, well, I um. I just this is kind of a beginning conversation, I think. Uh, deconstruction of faith. Uh, these are becoming familiar words. They're scary to some, and to others, they are where they're at. And this is kind of taking apart the car and laying out all the parts and deciding what you want or need to um, make it work or what you want to drive or have or or whatever in as far as your faith goes for for yourself, for the future. And what a time it's been, you know, to the last particularly maybe 15 years or so. Um, I don't know, you guys might have a different uh, time reference on that. But as people have started thinking for themselves, not relying on their denomination, not relying on their upbringing or experience, and those who've been part of a faith journey for a long time, um, have been asking some pretty sharp questions. Is the Bible inerrant and infallible? Kind of these givens of the Christian faith. That's what I'm speaking about here. Um, you know, uh, questioning some of the rules, the social rules, et cetera. Um, the role of women, <laughs> big. Um, some have still desired faith. Others have given up faith completely. Others are still kind of figuring it out. I will say, you know, as I, you know, underline that this is about the Christian faith, you have to say, you know, at least there's um, an opportunity to self-critique. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it hasn't always felt safe. And some people have lost their family relationships and church community relationships that have meant a lot to them as they've questioned their faith. But I don't know that that's possible in other religions around the world without maybe even losing your life if you question. So, yay, score one, right, for in the um, column here of, of prose uh, for deconstruction of being able to even do it. I don't even know if I'd say if there's a cons column, that'd be interesting to think about. But what my question is, what do you two think is ahead for those who have gone through this faith deconstruction time and come out a different person, um, what, what, what is ahead for us? How do we, 
what what's going to happen? What is, are you thinking of writers out there or quotes you've heard that are, there are there people that you know that are now kind of saying, well, what's next? And I'm wondering what you think is what's, you know, what is next? And so, you can take it anywhere you want to go. And I'm not going to take it to where what's next right here. I do, but I want to make maybe a little clarifying statement. Um, I think there are people who are doing honest deconstruction and I like the Richard Rohr language better, order, disorder, reorder. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I like that uh, language. But I think there are some other people that aren't doing honest deconstruction. They're deconstructing, throwing it uh, a pile of rubble and walking away. Really, they're they're not necessarily being honest about the process. They and I. What, what do you mean by that? I, I think it's that there are. Process. I think there are those who are doing some deconstruction just for the just. Um, for the sake of deconstruction, not looking at how it might be reordered. Just, I'm going to deconstruct, blow it up and just walk away. But may, but now see, I think that I would differ a little bit because I think that is their deconstruction. Well, and maybe they will end up there. And, and yes, and that's pro probably tr true. I think it's, maybe I've talked to a few people who, um, who, and maybe they didn't know what what it is that they were starting to do or wanting to do. Maybe it was more of that, and it but it felt more like they were um, starting down this road, um, hoping to blow it up and just walk away, as opposed to honestly engage. Sometimes, the burning it all down phase is the momentum that you need to be able to step away and so i i get the the burn it all down people um i think that some of what we're seeing now what we're hearing from people the questions the disorder um the confusion the disconnection actually started in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I back up the timeline just a little mm -hmm, bit, mm -hmm. Melinda, from where yeah, you started. I would, I would agree with you. Because um, it in those years, there was the emergent movement, which maybe a lot of people don't even know what that is. But there were a lot of people that were like, you know, the mega churches and the slick evangelicalism that just kept getting bigger and bigger and puffier and fluffier and <laughs> more shallow as it grew. Um, people started asking questions and um, a lot of it sounded like heresy. Some of those people have walked away from their faith. Other people kind of doubled down and got um, kind of moved into um, more fundamentalist kind of um, movements because they were scared. Um, <laughs> but there was, there was a lot of motion that started back then. Um, I really, uh, on Saturday at that writer's workshop, one of the presenters read a quote by Madeline Langle, um, the late, um, and lamented still, author yes. who wrote wonderful children's books and had a very keen eye 
for what it meant to be human. And she said this, um, and uh, one of the speakers referenced it. I am still every age that I have been. Because I was once a child, I am always a child. Because I was once a searching adolescent, given to moods and ecstasies, these are still a part of me and always will be. This doesn't mean I ought to be trapped or enclosed in any of these ages, the delayed adolescent, the childish adult, but they are in me to be drawn on. To forget is a form of suicide. Hmm. Last sentence, far too many people misunderstand what putting away childish things means and think that forgetting what it is like to think and feel and touch and smell and taste and see and hear like a three-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 23-year-old means being grown up. Mm. This applies big time to the deconstructors. Um, at some point, to be healthy, to be whole and to move toward wholeness and integration means that you have got to welcome all of that in. At the beginning of deconstruction, and, and I've I've been in those places in my life a more than once, actually. Some of it is what we used to call growth. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it, um, is that you are putting away childish things. You are taking off the training wheels. You are saying, I don't need to do all of, of these rituals and dis disciplines um, to save my soul. You know, maybe they are a part of who I am. Maybe they're not. Maybe this this community is a part of who I am. Maybe it's not. Um, but I really think to be able to move forward and to look ahead means you get to schlep all of those ages, all of those faith stages that you were with you. So when I think about looking ahead, I feel um, hopeful, not that we're going to be singing, it only takes a spark to get a fire going <laughs> in the year 2050 or 2200, you know, if the Lord tarries or whatever, but um, that we're going to be able to honor um, the parts, all of it that happened and not react against it healthy growth means that there's goodness in some of those things too when you leave a community you grieve you you lost friends you've lost you know connections that you had formed maybe for a short time or maybe for decades but um those those influences go with you into the future. And I think it's true for the church as a whole. My thought as I think about the future is that to your point, Anita, some will walk away mm -hmm. and they are over there and that's them. And they will be figuring out their faith. This is also a chapter in their lives. So we don't know 10 or 15 years down the right. road. That's a good what, point. What they'll be thinking or what they'll be after, you know, um, I think that, you know, in the second half of life, my faith 
um, has gone through doubt and looking, you know, looking at it more closely, but I've come out on the side of, wow, the older I get, the more I really need <laughs> the presence of the divine or God mm-hmm. in my life. Um, so, you know, what someone decides at 35 or 45 or 15, who knows when they're 65. So anyway, that's them. And then I think there are others who um, are angry about deconstruction and I'm not in that group. And then there's this other group that are um, redefining church. Plus mm-hmm. let's put the pandemic in there. Yes. Mm-hmm. What a wallop in the whole deconstruction mm-hmm. movement. Um, you know, what is church? What is my faith? Where do mm-hmm. I gather with others? I know I'm a part of three online groups, two of which move on or move, get together on a Sunday. And that's kind of a church. And I'm appreciating that. Never could you have told me mm-hmm. that those would be my sources of spiritual life. So I think what is next is um, reckoning pain and mm-hmm. sorrow over one's past faith where necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Sarah Billups, I haven't read the book. It's called Orphan Believers. The subtitle is How a Generation of Christian Exiles Can Find the Way Home. I think her book will be one of many that are going to be start coming out and thought leaders will be putting together. I hope they do. I think some are ignoring it and just focusing on other issues of faith. But, uh, you know, this is hard work. And like Phyllis Tickle said, every 500 years or so, we re-examine our, our faith and our institutions. And I think we sure are doing that. But we didn't know it was going to be as much of like a teenage rebellion stage <laughs> that it turned out to be. Yeah. And so I think what's ahead is unknown. And I'm looking forward to what other thought leaders put out there. And I think the discovery process for myself has been one that's been curious and odd and weird, but I'm very happy with other things I've left behind that I just don't believe anymore yet I still hold fast to my faith in the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that quote, that Madeline Lango quote is also true of the church, the bride, the church universal. We are all cumulatively the recipients and participants in everything that's come before mm-hmm. you know whether it's the disciples scattering from jerusalem or witnessing martin luther whacking his list of deconstruction complaints on the door at wittenberg <laughs> right or, you right know, that was about 500 years ago phyllis right. was right i quote that that <laughs> paradigm all the time so Whatever the future is going to contain is going to contain some of this. I wrote a piece for Christianity Today magazine um, that was published a few weeks ago. Now, right now, I'm drawing a blank on what they titled it or what it was called. Oh, good. But it talked about some of what I hope will be our legacy as baby boomers of um, greater authenticity or, um, you know, a more willing to reckon with things like mental illness and addiction, trauma, um, that's all a part of, you know, a generation ago when I first came to faith in Jesus in the 70s, 
there was a whole list of things that we did not talk about. We just performed for each other. We performed a certain kind of Christianity. It's called, I can't uh, Christian it. boomers like me want to change too. Came out January 4th. It's yes. fabulous. Maybe Anita will link I'll post it. it. Yeah, I'll post it in the show notes. Yeah, but yeah. that that idea that, you know, some of the things that we're beginning to be good at destigmatizing mental illness, certainly not in every circle, right. but it it's out there now. Um, social media as a place for people who've been abused by by the church, spiritual or sexual abuse by a clergy member, like it's out there now people are talking about it and you are not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle ever again i, I also think, think of welcoming the gay community into the churches mm -hmm. which uh, i've seen out here in california much more and yeah it needs to be the open doors for everybody for i think everybody. i get stuck or frustrated with um still the the parts of the church who are not doing what we're talking about they're still right um, and they probably won't change pretty good segment that's not i i think that i get yeah. frustrated at that they're, they're but that in there there's people that are just about to burn it all down that's yeah you know like this this churning and upheaval is happening everywhere maybe not you know if you're in charge and it's a pretty nice gig um you know you're you're not going to have any reason to change but if you've been right right and if you behind, feel comfortable there you know right. a lot of people what we're talking about today is fearsome because it's their community right. i mean they right. can't even think about social justice issues without feeling a tremendous amount of fear and you know, I think that's some of the challenges of this is, mm -hmm. is making space for everybody and not, but it, it, it can be angering too, you know? Yeah. Um, and what I see, I wanted to bring this up is parents who might even be listening to this and who are very concerned about their kids who are walking away. And I've had a friend who just really tore into me about this that you know her her kids she was concerned about them and we just need to get back to theology and that will solve it all and you know wouldn't that be nice <laughs> it's just not you know we have to be patient I think we've been part of this Christian family that really found its its place in the last 50 60 70 years as this warm cocoon and uh, give that up and it's warm in a warm cocoon with rigid edges. Okay. And warm cocoon for whom? Who yeah. was left yeah. out of the cocoon? And for who, well, that's why I'm saying the rigid edges. I, and I think I've come to see, to view people um, in terms of what is their posture toward Jesus? Are they turned toward Jesus? They might be way in the back of the room or the stadium, but they're still turned toward Jesus. There might mm -hmm. be others that are on the second or third row of the stadium turn toward Jesus. Do, doesn't matter. I think it's, what is our posture? Are we turned toward Jesus, even in the thinking and wrestling? And, you know, I think, I mean, I think I pay attention or I think I, I see people maybe a little bit differently than I once did as a, well, I know I do, but you know, as uh, what used to be, it's you're in, you're out. Well, no, no. Mm -hmm. Not, uh, I it's see. It's not that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's, 
yeah, there's not a fence around it, but I think it's, this calls for great patience that we've never known or even allowed ourselves. Like I said earlier, like the inquisition was very impatient. You're in, you're out, or you're alive Mm -hmm. or dead. They almost killed Galileo for Pete's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and this calls for patience and expansion and mystery. Yeah. Mystery. We don't like that. We don't, that's so dang uncomfortable. Uh And And so I think that's what's ahead for us is that, you know, even with the pandemic, we're all just kind of swimming in this ocean, trying to figure out where's land, where can we get back to what was stable? And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's like we were talking about earlier, sort of these post-war eras, Mm -hmm. how will things shake down? Who knows? But we know that we're not going back though. We're not going back. And that God's word, you know, in the scriptures, it says, you know, God will last forever. Mm -hmm. God created the universe. This isn't going away, but it's forms and structures and tribes and belief systems may look very different. Well, and I think that patience piece, it, it always calls up in me. How do I, where do I, how am I able to, am I trusting God? That trust God piece, I've not really had to do it in the past. It was all so neat and tidy. And now I feel like that's a muscle that, you know, I've, I've had to strengthen more. Yeah. Trusting God for everything and anything at at this point in your life, you're saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the chaos and mess of the world. Mm-hmm. and the church and everything fill yeah. in the blank well we're not as in control we right. had denominational boards and this is protestant christianity it, right right yeah you know, the, but the catholic church too i mean mm-hmm. people are saying right. hey mm-mm, this isn't this isn't working you know mm-hmm. and it's very patriarchal and everything else but a lot of people find a church home there that's the other thing i think that maybe we're being asked to consider difficult fellowship or church relationships that aren't perfect. And they used to feel more perfect for some. I mean, I know there's been a lot of church wounding over the years, but it's just not cookie cutter anymore. No. And that's pretty much how we're going to leave this conversation. Yeah. It ended for people to continue it. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Have a good day, everyone. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's our non-answer, and yeah. we have more questions. Right. I know I do. Same. And that's yeah. okay. The that questions okay. lead to other questions. It takes courage to ask them. Yes. Yes. Wow. Oh, it's always good to talk to the two of you and just to hear your good thinking and to let it swirl around in my mind. And a couple hours from now, I might have a coherent <laughs> question or, or thought on this. I mean, really, it's just... Probably we all so much to think about, right? Yeah. I feel like I could use a Twinkie. (laughs) Give me a tasty cake. What about about you, Melinda? John's pizza? I'll go for a pizza. I may go for a slice of pizza. Oh, I love it. Well, you guys, thank you for your time and your good minds and just um, the joy of conversing with you. Always, always fun. Thanks so much. Thanks, Anita. This has been great and uh, lots to think about, just like you said. I'm so glad always to have a meaningful conversation. So thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. 
Well, thanks to you both. And as always, I tell folks to keep the conversation going. <laughs>